Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security. Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. Please contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and visit our website to hear podcasts of all of our shows and interviews, strategicinvestorradio.com. Dot com. Today is February 12, 2016. I'm Charlie Wright, and we're very pleased to welcome back to our show Brendan Ahern, Chief Investment Officer of Crane Shares Family of Mutual Funds, a family of mutual funds that focuses on China. Brendan, welcome back to Strategic Investor Radio. Uh, many thanks, uh, Charlie. Good to be back. So, Brendan, uh, you are indeed a brave man here in February 2016. China has been definitely in the news, had its impact on currency markets, price of oil, the stock market in the U.S., stock markets throughout the world, etc. Tell us, Brendan, as a guy who has visited China many times, what are the things that you see in China every time you go that are really hopeful to you about a place to do business and a place? that's going to be growing economically. Yeah, I think the you know, China's economy is, is not one-faceted, that you do have a export-driven manufacturing sector that's very dependent upon uh, both the United States and the European Union in order to drive sales. Um, but then on the other side of the coin, you have a domestic consumption story that's largely been underreported here in the U.S., Uh, Though you see it show up in the earnings announcement of companies like Starbucks and Nike, Apple, where they're enjoying very robust rates of growth. So really, we call it the tale of two Chinas. There's part of China that's being affected by tepid global growth, and there's a part of China that's doing quite well. And as an investor, uh, you've really been rewarded being on uh, the right side of that equation. Well, that, that's very interesting. You know, uh, you guys are very brave to step into China with mutual funds the way you have. How do you guys, uh, you people there uh, at Crane Shares, how do you view the current events in China? Well, I, I think there are there's three broad themes for um, not only China investors, but, but investors in emerging markets and really in investors globally, which is the end of the commodity super cycle. The current current currency wars, uh, the you know, really proactive devaluation of currencies like the uh, euro and the yen, um, and then China's GDP has slowed. And so, as an, all investors need to be aware of what's taking place in China, you know, simply because you know a company like um, uh, Starbucks, which is going to open 500 stores in each of the next five years. 
Um, Howard Schultz, the CEO, you know, spoke about how bullish he is on the China prospects. And you can counteract that with companies like a Caterpillar or Deer, which have seen a slowing in their sales in China. So, so you know, you have this tale of two Chinas theme, and and you, you you have to have an opinion. But but broadly speaking, there's three three big trends that are out there today. You know, com- the suffering in commodities, uh, China's slowing GDP, and then the current currency role, currency wars, which is, this is really overflowing into. Um, U.S. markets, European markets, Asian markets, and, and, and China as well. Yeah. Now, now tell us, uh, focusing on the, the GDP, I mean, frankly speaking, to what degree do you and can we trust the GDP and other economic figures that come out of China? I, I, I think there has been um, a lot of skepticism, um, and but things are improving that that GDP in China historically was aggregated from different different regions, almost uh, different states within China. So there's a lot of competition um, uh, between these different par- provinces uh, that led to kind of you know the numbers being very exaggerated. Um, I think though that there's been some improvement in the numbers, um, but ultimately. Um, you know, the, you know, there's been some skepticism, but but even if even if the number isn't as high as 6.9 percent, which is what the government reported in 2015, say it was only five percent. I mean, that's still an exceedingly robust rate of growth. Um, you know, two and a half times versus the you know, virtually every country within uh, the developed world. So so even if China's GDP, if there's some skepticism. You know, things are getting better in terms of the reporting, and um, you know it's still a very strong number. I mean, just you know, you know last year, you know, China, you know, from government numbers, it only grew six point nine percent, and you know, people were horrified. This is such a terrible number. I mean, who wouldn't want a rate of growth half of that for Europe or here in the U.S.? And uh, the reality is, the value of China's GDP hit an all-time high in 2015. The value of China's GDP growth in 2015 was larger than the GDP of South Africa. So to China, it is the second largest economy in the world, and it is still growing, uh, but not quite at the pace we've seen in the past. But that that shouldn't be shocking, I, I don't believe. So, so Brendan, tell us about uh, China being overbuilt. We've heard that for several years now about how there are these cities that are vacant and that uh, they spurred the economy through uh, loans and through construction. And that has to, at some point, uh, create a price to be paid. Um, what have you seen there and, and your research in that area? What does it tell you? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think one of the greatest... Um kind of misses was uh, you know 60 minutes uh, you know almost a year and a half ago did a uh, segment on ordos which is a uh, a ghost city in china if if you drive 12 hours west out of beijing into the gobi desert in the province of inner mongolia you come upon ordos now i, I know inner mongolia sounds like a, a economically thriving center of china but it's it's not. Um, 
it probably peaked around the time of Genghis Khan. And, and they found about, you know, about 10 years ago or thereabouts, uh, the large, one of the largest coal deposits globally. And there was the decision to build this city in, in anticipation of, um, hundreds of thousands of workers coming to, to mine this, this coal. Uh, obviously coal mining has become mechanized and, and it didn't pan out. So you've got this ghost city. Um, and so it, it exists. It exists. I think the issue with the ghost city is it misses, it, it really takes takes away one of the greatest accomplishments really in the last hundred years, which is the urbanization of China. In, in 1980, 20% of China's population lived in cities today, and, and today it's over 50%. So that's hundreds of millions of people have moved from rural poverty-stricken areas into cities where they get access to the things we take for granted on a daily basis, like proper housing, running water, and electricity. And and for that reason, no country has raised more people out of poverty than China in the last hundred years. I mean, hundreds of millions of people. And President uh, Obama congratulated President Xi last year at the Sunnyvale Conference on uh, China doing more to raise people out of poverty than, than really any country. So, 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 you know, ghost cities do exist. I mean, I mean, there's overdevelopment and speculation, but, but it's really a shame that, that China, you know, you know, people, you know, still want to talk about ghost cities and, and you miss the urbanization trend in China, which, uh, has really, uh, will continue. I mean, it's going to, the, the urbanization rate in China will hit about 75%. Um, according to economic, you know, the, the the government's policy, and that that will happen over the next several decades. So, it, you know, you you know, there's there's clearly been some overdevelopment um, that's led to a lot, you know, excess debt and infrastructure. Um, at the same time, the urbanization trend will 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 continue, and you know, in ten years. Charlie, you know, maybe you know, what happened, you know, Ordos might not be such a ghost city. Well, time will tell. <laughs> yeah, you never know. And often those things do do change. Uh, Brendan, we could talk about this stuff all day. We need to take a short break. When we come back, let's talk about the currency issues and what you see happening there and uh, how to move forward. We're talking with Brendan Ahern of Crane Shares Family Mutual Funds that focuses on China. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. All right, let's pick it back up with Charlie and his guest. Paul, thank you. Again, we're talking with Brendan Ahern, Chief Investment Officer of Crane Shares Family of Mutual Funds, focusing on investing in China. So, Brendan, uh, currency issues. 
Uh, what do you see happening there, and how, how does uh, Crane Shares see things moving forward over the coming years? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Charlie, we have to step back and look at what's happened over the last five years, where over the course of the last five years, we've been in a really an unprecedented dollar bull uh, market where the, the U.S. dollar is appreciated versus you know, the Japanese yen over 30% you know, versus the Brazilian real and the Russian ruble. It's uh, almost uh, 60%. So it's really, it's really been an unprecedented dollar bull. And if the dollar is going up, it means currencies globally are going down. And what we've seen more recently is uh, the RMB, the you know, Chinese currency, remarkably over the last five years has actually appreciated versus the dollar, which I think, I think you know, really would surprise most people. It, it, it's, it's not de-appreciated. It hasn't been devalued uh, to the extent that anyone thinks. It's actually up versus the dollar over the last five years. But starting last year, we had two, we had two, two issues. We had uh, the Chinese government cut uh, interest rates uh, three times in order to help stimulate the, their economy. And then you had the U.S. Federal uh uh, Federal Reserve moving toward a more rising rate posture and ultimately uh, raising rates in December. And so, um, you know, if, if U.S. interest rates are rising, that makes the dollar stronger and other currencies are going to decline. And so um, as much as people are so worried about the RMB, I, I'm not I'm not really as concerned because I, I don't I don't really see the U.S. economy being so so strong that we're going to get all of the uh, interest rate hikes. So so if that's the case, I think people will be shocked that the RMB could actually appreciate versus the dollar. And 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 the government knows that you know everyone everyone believes that that they will will devalue their currency to help their exporters. If you look at Japan, if you look at Europe, you know, they've, they've destroyed their currencies, and, and there's been no uptake in exports. I mean, literally, you, you cannot devalue your currency and create demand. And I think the Chinese policymakers recognize that. So um, we're in the camp. It's out of consensus, but that we don't see a major devaluation of the RMB taking place. So tell us, uh, we understand, Brendan, that there is going to be a uh, revaluation of the uh, reinstitution of the MSCI index. Tell us about what that is and what it means for potential investing in China and possibly elsewhere in Asia. No, it's um, you know, one of the things that I think most investors probably um, don't recognize is that the uh, the definition of, of investing is really set by index providers like um, MSCI. And in the case of China, the definition of China has been uh, literally a, not even um, 160 stocks, Chinese companies listed in Hong Kong. That Those 160 stocks represent only 6% of all Chinese stocks that you've got. Uh, over 3,000 Chinese companies listed on the Shanghai and Shenzhen exchanges. You've got companies like Badu and Alibaba listed in here in the U.S., but they haven't been included in that definition. Um, and so it's, it's actually, you know, I think people are kind of amazed at how narrow the definition of China has been. And 
Uh, we saw last year that MSCI said they were going to add 14 uh, Chinese companies listed here in the United States, like Alibaba and Badu and Ctrip and JD, really internet and e-commerce companies that we hold in our uh, Crane Shares CSI China internet. So in the three months leading up to the uh, first stage, since MSCI said it would be a two-stage inclusion, um, our fund, the K-Web, the Crane Share CSI Trend Internet, went up 25%. And the rest of the market, that historical definition of China was flat. So what happens is managers realize that they're going to have to buy these companies based on this, inc- you know, this inclusion, which represented over 60% of K-Web's um, exposure. So people bought in advance of of this index inclusion, which led to this outperformance. And that's going to happen again on June 1st of, of this of this year, that these same 14 companies, um, it's a two-stage inclusion. And so you know, we really like, um, we really like um, either holding these companies directly or, or via a product like our, our K-Web, because we know asset managers globally are going to have to buy these securities uh, prior to this June 1st inclusion. I see. So so if I understand correctly, these are basically in indices, uh, which are in ETFs, etc. And so that will increase the purchase of those companies as they are included in the MSCI indexes. Is that the point? Yeah, that's exactly it, Charlie, that um, MSCI has over $9 trillion benchmarked against the, their indices, both active and passive. Um, in MSCI emerging markets, um, as of last June, you had 1.6 trillion benchmarked against that. And if, if 2% of that 1.6 trillion has to own these 14 stocks, you know, we wrote a great piece called The Power of Indexing that's available on craneshares.com. And it, it shows that, you know, when these managers have to buy these stocks, they, you know, that's a great reason to own them in advance. And so, you know, Alibaba normally trades um, about 19 million shares on, on November 30th, uh, the day before the index included it, it traded 97 million. And, and that was driven by asset managers globally having to buy Alibaba before the close of business so that they had the wait right for the December 1st index inclusion. And um, I suspect on May 30th, uh, we'll see a very similar phenomenon of these asset managers having to own these stocks. And uh, there's, there's index funds and ETFs have to buy them. But a lot of active managers will buy them in, in advance, which I think is part of the reason we saw the strong outperformance of K-Web in the, in the months leading up to it. Hedge funds and mutual fund managers buying the securities, knowing these big index fund families had to buy them. So how, how is it that I have missed this story here, Brendan, except hearing about it from you? Is, is it a, a bigger story than I realize uh, in the media, or are somehow they're just missing this story? Well, I mean, these index inclusions do happen. Um, it's uh, you know, being a indexing geek is a uh, small world that I live in, Charlie, and I, I don't, I don't wish in knowing index methodologies on on anyone. Uh, uh, at the same time, there's 
literally trillions of dollars invested in, in exchange-traded funds. But how much do people really know about these indices and how they're put together? And, you know, candidly, you know, I took in building our product set, it was all about giving people unique exposures in, in advance of, of these potential changes. And, and um, you know, I, I think it, it, it gets underreported just, uh, you know, it's you know, big mutual fund families being on the wrong side of a, of, of a trade. If, you know, it, that's not a story that, you know, they necessarily want to see uh, told. So it's, um, um, you know, one could argue not that it's embarrassing. It's just this is the way the things work. It's just when the results are as big as they are, you know, it's, it's probably something they want to keep off the front pages. Well, and I had not really uh, considered the impact and and uh, the, the the things that uh, the the changes that can occur when an index changes, and I hadn't thought of that. That uh, companies are going to be out there; uh, they now are forced to purchase that as they purchase these indices through ETFs, etc. Here, so tell us, uh, Brendan, uh, before we get to your website here, a uh, couple of questions we always like to ask. Number one, what keeps you awake at night? <laughs> Besides my young children, um, I, I think you know, the worry for any investor today is uh, you know, that we almost talk ourselves into a bad situation where you know, the U.S. has been in such a strong equity bull market and then we've had a very strong dollar market. Uh, but the rest of the world has not, you know, has not performed well. You know, emerging markets are down over forty percent over the last over the last five years, and, and you know, I think things you'll see potentially a reversion to the mean, where maybe the U.S. market consolidates, you know, and then you see emerging markets come back. They're certainly beaten up, and valuations look pretty promising. But you know, there's, there's this worry that. In my mind, that people you know, fall into the kind of a, a, apocalyptic argument, which I don't buy into. But if everyone if everyone starts believing that, it, it might come true. And um, you know, if anything, it's part of why all investors want to remain diversified. Yeah, no question about it. And let's face it, perception can become reality. No question about it. Yeah. Question number two: What book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? Well, I think that's a, that's a great question, Charlie, and I, I do love to read. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, I think there's some staples like a um, you know reminiscences of a stock operator or just kind of uh, investment classics. Uh, Trader Vic has been kind of a you know another um, kind of core fundamentals. Uh, but but I, I'm gonna I'll mention a book that's maybe off the radar a little bit. Um, um, Lehman Brothers had a uh, ETF trading desk, um, and the head trader was a gentleman named Jared Dillon. And, and Jared, Jared wrote a book about three years ago called Street Freak. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of an odd title, Street Freak, but it's one of the best books about how a, not just an ETF trading desk, but how a trading desk operates. Um, on Wall Street, and, and it, it's a unique insight that you really don't see. You know, people talk about Wall Street, but this is from an, a Wall Street insider really telling you how that works, how that desk works. And then, you know, Jared himself uh, went through a little bit of a, 
um, you know, metamorphosis or change based on, you know, Lehman Brothers eventually going bankrupt and what that meant to him financially and how he kind of, uh, um, you know, rebuilt himself as a person. So, so it's, it's, it's a great investment book. Uh, it's great insight on how Wall Street works, but, it, but it's a very um, empowering book on somebody really rebuilding themselves and their character up after uh, the calamity of their employer going bankrupt. Hey, that is great. Street Freak, uh, that is not a book that anybody else has uh, mentioned over our 100-plus interviews, so we really, really appreciate that here, Brendan. Thank you very much. So give folks your website so they can see uh, what Crane Shares are about and how to contact you if they'd like to. Yeah, most definitely. Um, um, craneshares.com is uh, K-R-A-N-E-S-H-A-R-E-S, and about this index inclusion story that, uh, Charlie, you very generously allowed me to speak to, um, it's called Power of Indexing. Um, if you can just Google Power of Indexing, it'll be the top Google search. Great. And, and we, we can highly recommend that because, again, that's a story that at this point in my world anyway, uh, which is full of reading uh, in, in the financial media, uh, I, I have not seen uh, much on there. About all I've seen is the stuff that you have sent me. So how about uh, final words for our listeners here, Brendan? Well, I, I think, the you know, Charlie, I think there's um, as much as a lot of the news and headlines around China, um, you know, we provide at Crane Shares a little bit of a balanced exposure. And I think as much as, uh, you know, there's um, can be kind of misinformation around China, the reality is, China's playing a larger and more important role in, in China, and in, in not only uh, our economy, but globally. And you're really going to hope need to know more information about China, and hopefully Crane Shares can be a partner in, in helping provide that. Brendan, thank you very much. And again, we really appreciate you being on the show here. We've been talking with Brendan Ahern, Chief Investment Officer of Crane Shares, a family mutual funds focusing on China. And you've been listening to your Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. You can contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and visit our website to hear podcasts of all of our shows and interviews, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science. Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security.